pick up where we left off this morning, sort of, kind of. Uh, during this morning's lesson, I had mentioned how in Colossians chapter 2, verses 22 and verse 23, how the Apostle Paul, writing to the Church of Christ that met in Colossae, spoke of will worship or self-imposed religion. He warned against the spirit and pretty much the heart and soul of this, this idea of self-worship or worship that people want and putting it above the worship that God wants. And we talked about that Greek term, ethelothreskia, I believe. Um, according to Wayne Jackson's New Testament con uh, commentary, he says it is that worship which one devises and prescribes for himself contrary to the nature of the faith. Obviously, the faith, once delivered for all the saints in Jude 3, again, as we spoke of this morning. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words, that term for will worship or self-imposed religion in Colossians 2, 22 and 23 means voluntarily adopted worship, whether unbidden or forbidden. Again, worship which God either said don't do, that's forbidden, or worship which God didn't say you couldn't, it's just that he specified something else, and so it's unbidden, he didn't ask for it. And I included the reference this morning in passing of Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to ask you to turn there tonight. The reason that we often talk about Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 in reference to the fact that we can't add instruments where the Lord said sing eight times in the New Testament church for worship or in the New Testament when, when music that God wants is being discussed, there's eight times that we see it as sing. We never once see it as play. So to add instruments is to add that which is unbidden. It's not asked for. It's not authorized. And we often use Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 to talk about that for obvious reasons because Nadab and Abihu offered up fire that God didn't ask for. They, they, they gave it from a source that, that God had not asked. He didn't say, don't take your fire from this spot, wherever this spot was, they got it. He didn't come out and say, it's wrong to do this. He just didn't ask for that particular fire, so it was unbidden. Look what happens here in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane. Your version may say unauthorized. They offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. See, it wasn't that he, he didn't say don't use it from there again. But they decided to use it from a spot that he hadn't asked for it from. That's, he hadn't asked for it. He would not commanded them to get it from that source. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, when we talk about this passage, we often stop right there. We pretty much just stop. But here's the thing. There's so much more to the story of these two men than just two verses. There's so much more about them these were two real men. These were two sons. These were two priests. These were two men who had stories, who had lives. 
And we can learn from the rest of their life. When we put all of it together, unfortunately, it just makes this for which they are best known even more tragic. But, but who were these two men? Who were they prior to this? Where did they come from? What was their family heritage? What was their life experience? What had they seen in their lives? Why were they priests? All of those things lend to this final chapter of their lives. And finally, and most important of all, what made them either so callous, careless, arrogant, prideful, whatever, as to offer something to God in worship that he had not asked for, that made him so angry that as a lesson, fire comes down and consumes them. What about the rest of these men's lives? Tonight, I'd like for us to take a look at the rest of their story. And I think it's especially important to our young people who have been raised in faithful families in the church, and they've learned to serve the living God. I think it's important to really, really sink ourselves into this story a few minutes of these two men who apparently started out so well themselves. For example, in Leviticus 10 and verse 1 that we read, we see that Nadab and Abihu were sons of Aaron. In Exodus, I'm not going to turn there, but in Exodus 6, verses 14 through 25, if you take taken notes, we see their family tree. We see their family album, as it were. And a fantastic family tree. They came from a fantastic family tree. In Exodus 6, 14 through 25, their family tree includes the fact that Moses and Aaron, as we know, were brothers. Verses 26 and 7 of that passage in Exodus 6, divinely confirming, just so that there would never be any mistake about it whatsoever, that these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. It's really stressed in that passage about Moses and Aaron and the lineage of Nadab and Abihu. God doesn't want there to be any mistake when you understand their story as to the family they came from. Verse 23 also confirms in Exodus 6 that it was Aaron, Moses' brother, who had four sons. Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Which, of course, made their uncle... <laughs> Can you imagine calling the Old Testament deliverer and forerunner of Christ Uncle Moses? These four boys had that privilege, Uncle Moses. Wow. So Aaron's oldest, his firstborn son, was Nadab. Aaron, the brother, Moses, the plagues, all that Aaron saw and did. His firstborn son, Nadab. As a firstborn son, he was entitled to all of the rights and privileges that that entailed under the Old Testament law of his uncle. Moses. He was special. He was privileged. It's interesting, however, to note that Nadab's name, if you look his name up, I, I looked it up in, in Unger's Bible Dictionary, and if you look up Nadab's name, what's really interesting 
is that his name in the Hebrew means spontaneous or liberal. Think about that. That's what his name means. Spontaneous or liberal. And is it not those groups of the Lord's disciples who would add unauthorized music into his worship today who are considered liberal? I find that just amazing. Now, Abayu was the second oldest. Eliezer was Aaron's thirdborn, and Ithamar was the fourth or the baby of the family. Now, I'm not sure exactly when and what year these boys were born, but it certainly appears from Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, through chapter 7 and verse 7, that they were born prior to Moses and Aaron going into Pharaoh and demanding that the Israelites be released. It certainly appears from the way the text is written that these four boys were born before the ten plagues. And, and if they were, as that seems to indicate, that means all four of them witnessed in some form or fashion the ten plagues. You remember the ten plagues? Remember how the darkness was so thick it was like going through a curtain and, and the light and the difference and, and all the different things? Would that impress you as a child? That would impress me as an adult. Think about what these four boys saw. The ten plagues and how God brought onto the Egyptians through their uncle Moses and their father Aaron, all of those things. And, and they certainly would have also therefore walked through the Red Sea on dry land, would they not? Can you imagine that spectacle? The Hollywood can't do it justice. But they would have been amongst that throng of God's people who, who saw the power and the might of God as, as the waters parted. And all of these people, some have estimated a million, I don't know how many, huge bunch, all of God's people walked through the Red Sea. They would have seen that. Would that impress you with the power of God? And then think of being a younger person, a youth, child, maybe teen, I don't know, somewhere in that area. Wow. And they were certainly there that earth-shaking day in Exodus 19. Turn to me to Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19. We would note the situation in the beginning of this chapter. 19.1, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, camped in the wilderness, so Israel camped there before the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people of the earth, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel as we turn over and we look at verse 16 in this same chapter. It says, Now it came to pass on the third day in the morning, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. All the people who, it was so scary 
that all the people in the camp trembled. Surely that included the four sons of Aaron. This, this sight that caused everybody to just quake with fear. And Moses brought the people out, verse 17, to the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. If you're sitting there or standing there and you're seeing this whole mountain rock right back and forth and smoke on it and the trumpet and God's presence, would that impress you? Would that make you pay attention when God said, hey, I want you to do this? It would get my attention. And those boys had to have been part of that crowd. And when the blast, verse 19, of the trumpet sounded long, I can say that, sounded long and became louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Sinai on the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. That's an impressive sight. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews in talking about this event says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 21, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Moses. Moses who had, who had walked through the sea and he'd gone through the 10 plagues and he'd commanded all these things and, and he knew the might of God. The Hebrew writer says even Moses was exceedingly afraid and trembling. What an impressive, awesome sight that must have been. And for those boys to see that, to be impressed with the power of Almighty God. They had something going that was incredible. In the ensuing verses, Moses goes down the mountain, gets Aaron, and they both go back up at the Lord's command. When Moses returns, he has the Ten Commandments. That's Exodus chapter 20. We're going to take a little trip here through Exodus tonight. He has the Ten Commandments. Not too long after that, look with me what happens in Exodus 24 in verse 1. And God says to Moses, or now he said to Moses, Exodus 24, 1, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from far. I want you to catch that. I want you to see what privileged, incredible, special company these young men were in. Moses, Aaron, Aaron's two oldest sons, and 70 of the elders. That's all I want to come up, even come a little further than the normal people. Would you feel privileged if you'd been a part of that out of all those Israelites? Nadab and Abihu were. Look in verses 9 through 18 of this chapter. Then Moses went up. Also, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. What, what privileged young men. And they saw the God of Israel. Now, obviously, they didn't see him in all of his glory. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hands, so they saw God, and they ate and drank. What, I, I can't, I'm running out of expletives. What an incredible spectacle. What a special privilege to be a part of seeing and experiencing what they did. If ever God should have made an impression on somebody, it was these people this way, including Nadab and Abihu and the company, the leaders of Israel. 
the father Aaron and their uncle Moses. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there and I'll give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. And then Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. What an incredible spectacle. A little bit later, God has an announcement to make. Look in chapter 28 and verse 1. Now take Aaron, your brother, God says to Moses, 28.1, Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Wow. From all the tribes, from, from this group, those five. And look what else he says in verse 2. Six. Yes, I can count. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. He says, okay, Aaron's going to be the, the high priest, and so he's got these special garments that have to be made for him. And in verses 3 through 39, talk about those special garments right down to the color of the thread. Okay? Right down to the color of the thread and the placement of the elements upon them. An incredible high priestly garment for Aaron to wear. But look in chapter 28 at verse 40. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics. It's not just Aaron that's getting these, these, these tunics. It's his sons as well. You shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them. You'll make hats for them for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. Nadab and Abihu, what a privilege. As well as Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die, and it shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Look in chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall wash them with water. Then you'll take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe of the ephod, the ephod, and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, or ephod, depending on how you want to pronounce it. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. Take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for perpetual state, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. Special, elect, select, privileged. 
Look at verses 29 and 30. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister to the holy place. It wasn't just Aaron's outfit, but it would be passed on perpetually to his sons. Nadab and Abihu would be in that list, Nadab being the eldest first. Verse 37. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whoever touches the altar shall be, must be holy. This is beginning to get to the point of why we see the events unfold that they did in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 as, as part of their responsibility as priests. There were certain things that they had to do. This altar had to be considered by them most holy because it was to God. And we finally finish up in verses 42 through 46. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will speak with you. There I'll meet with the children of Israel. The tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. I'll consecrate the tabernacle of meeting in the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel, will be their God, and they'll know that I'm the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord your God. Again and again and again and again, God holds himself up as holy, all-powerful. These kids have seen so much. These young men by now have seen so much. And they are selected to minister to God in the holiest of ways and places. What, what, a, what a privilege. What a blessing. In chapter 30, verses 1 through 6, instructions are given for the altar of incense. Look with me in verse 7. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. When Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he'll burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. Now, as we consider those, just a couple of things here. If you look at verse 8, you know, sometimes in the church, some folks can tend to think, hey, we do the same thing Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Church has been doing the same thing for 2,000 years, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And in our drive-through electronic culture, we can think, maybe some people attempt to think, maybe we ought to change it up a little bit. We've been doing the same thing for 2,000 years. Well, I want us to notice, God hasn't changed, and I want you to notice what God said here in verse 8. He said that the way he wanted things done in this case was that this would be a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. What does that mean? It would never become some boring, stale, musty tradition. It would always be what God wanted it to be. He wanted this carried out forever and ever. If God had wanted something different, he'd have asked for it back then. But he didn't. He said, this is going to be an ongoing thing. Throughout your generations, neither the eternal God, his eternal taste, or his eternal word ever change. And please notice from verse 9. 
that when God states what he wants, nothing else is acceptable. When God says, this is what I want, nothing else is acceptable, all else is off limits. Because offering anything else other than what God specifically commanded shows that the worshiper does not respect God's authority. Did you know that? Yes, he's God. Yes, he has all authority. God says, I want your music to be this. I want your offering to be this. I want the plan of salvation to be this. And somebody says, well, I love God, but that's not true. I'm not going to do it his way. What are they doing? They're rejecting God. They're not letting God be God. They're worshiping self. I heard a sermon about that this morning. He commanded a recipe for sweet incense in verse 7, in verse 34 and following. And in verses 10 and 36, it was most holy to the Lord. Any incense other than what he commanded, any incense they decided to dream up on their own, wasn't going to work. Same with anything else he asked for. And brethren, as we know, the same is true of the fire he asked for, the music he asked for, the prayers he asked for, or anything else he asked for in worship. Isn't it true that once God has said what he wants, that's the end of it? We don't have the right to tamper with it. God knew, God, hey, check this out. God was smart enough to know what he wanted the first time. <laughs> Did you ever say you wanted something and then changed your mind later on? God doesn't do that. God knows what he wants the first time around. And so, we don't have the right to trifle with that. Moving on with this story. Short while thereafter, Nadab and Abihu certainly must have been witness to or seen the tragic consequences of their father Aaron. Their father Aaron committed a great sin. Do you remember the great sin from Exodus 32? Made the golden calf? Do you remember the destruction that God caused when he poured out his wrath because the people had made a golden calf? You remember Moses had to intercede for him on the spot because if Moses hadn't, God would have incinerated them on the spot. Now certainly those boys must have seen that. They, they should have learned by now, you don't trifle with God. You give God what he asked for. In Leviticus 8 and 9, we see Aaron and his sons all dressed up. We see them consecrated in their priestly attire to appear before God and to appear before the whole assembly of Israel to minister before the Lord. We see God's exact instructions carried out right down to the, the least and most intricate detail. And when it was all accomplished, look what we see in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 22 through 24. Leviticus 9, 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. It was from this altar and this fire that the fire had to come to offer before the Lord, Leviticus 16, 12, in a similar case. However, Nadab and Abihu, for whatever reason, again, I don't know if it was arrogance, 
callousness, carelessness, I don't know what the reason was, the Bible doesn't say, but for whatever reason, they thought they had a better idea. They thought they could give God something he had not asked for. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane or unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. I don't know where they got it. I don't know why they got it. Maybe, maybe, and the scripture doesn't say, but you have to at least consider it. Maybe because of their lineage, because of their parentage, because of their always being in the elite leadership roles that they were, maybe they just got lazy and callous and thought, we're priests. I don't know. Perhaps it was a result of that. But brethren, here's, here's the thing. This is where the rubber meets the road application for us. Young people, I don't care how faithfully you've been raised. Well, I do, but stick with me here. I don't care how faithfully you've been raised, how long you've been a Christian, how many letters somebody may have after their name, how many big names over the years you might have the privilege of rubbing elbows with or being in the company of. I don't care whether you're an elder, a preacher, a deacon, or whatever else. Nobody, nobody has a better idea of what God wants than God. Period. Nobody. Nobody. Verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. They died before the Lord. This example is so extremely important for us to remember. It's retold a number of times in the scriptures. At least three other times that I know of. They tell this story again. Numbers 26, 60 through 61. First Chronicles 24, 1 and 2. And there is a third one. So, what did Moses have to say about this? Remember, these were his nephews, right? They were, son, they were his brother's boys. Think about your nieces and nephews. Close family, right? What did Moses have to say about this? Verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. Do you know what that means? This is what Moses had to say about this situation when his two nephews were incinerated. He says to his brother Aaron, the father of those two boys, he said, this is what God meant. For all of those that come near him, he must be regarded as holy. What does that mean? That means for all of those who would come near to God, they must respect God's authority. They must hold God up. By their submission to him, they must hold him up as holy. That's what that means. God is only glorified when people obey him. 
God is not glorified when people disobey him. And, and for those who would draw near to God, who would truly draw near to God, we glorify him only when we give him what he asked for. To give him anything else that he did not ask for. Certainly to give him things that he said, don't offer me, but even to offer him those things that he didn't ask for, such as adding instruments to our music. That doesn't make God, that doesn't glorify him. That doesn't hold him up as all authoritative. Moses says to his brother, this is what God was talking about. <laughs> and it's too bad that Moses didn't remember that a little later on, to be quite frank. You know, sometimes lessons are learned and we think we, sometimes maybe as Bible class teachers will teach a lesson and several years down the road we'll make an oh and we'll say, I should have remembered, I taught this, I should have known better, right? Well, Moses would have done well to remember this very lesson later on down the road because in another passage that applies just as fully to our modern day worship music and the fact that God is only glorified and upheld as holy when he is obeyed and given what he asked for, even mighty Moses failed. And his sin cost him the promised land. You will recall, Numbers 20, verses 11 and 12, according to the ESV, it reads thus, Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank in their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. You remember the story? First time that they wanted water, Moses was told, strike the rock. Remember that? Strike. Comes to it, comes, comes to the place they need water again, and God says to him the second time, speak to the rock. What did Moses do? Struck it. What an incredible resemblance that that instance too applies to the kind of music God wants in his New Testament church. Think about this. Under the old covenant, they could strike instruments. They could pluck and strike instruments, right? They did. Under the, that is the first covenant. But under the second covenant, the second time around, what did God tell us to do? Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, right? The first time they could strike, the second time they were told, we were told to speak and to give a cappella music, to, to speak, to sing. Well, so what happens if we go back and we don't just speak, but we strike as well? That's not what he asked us to do the second time, is it? Just like with Moses. Moses should have remembered the lesson of Nadab and Abihu because God is neither glorified, hallowed, or held up as holy in front of anyone when people do not give him what he commanded, when he commanded, as he commanded. And you know, it doesn't matter if we think some people, the Lord's church, well, it would just sound better if we had instruments. Or, well, if we had instruments, we could attract a crowd like all the denominations around us. You know, it doesn't matter because God knows what he wants. God told us what he wants, and God is only glorified when we give him what he wants. He's only held up as holy when we give him what he asked for. And instruments of music in the New Testament church are completely unbidden, 
unauthorized, unspecified, and therefore unholy, unwanted, and fully unacceptable to the Lord God Almighty who has got done so much for us. And if you still think that, that God is somebody to be trifled with when he says, this is where I want my worship to come from, I want it to come from your hearts, just like the fire was to come from a specific place, if you think that God is a God to be trifled with, read Leviticus 10, 4 through 7. Do you know there what happens? Moses lets his brother Aaron know, you can't even mourn for these boys. Don't stop serving the Lord. Don't go out there. Don't mourn, lest you die. God was making a point. Does God deserve everything we've got? He gave us all he had. And he had a lot more to give than we do. So when God says, I want to hear you sing from your heart to me, we don't have the right to add to it. That brings us back to Nadab and Abihu. After all the advantages that they had, after the, the company that they had been raised in, after all the experiences they had have enjoy, they enjoyed, what could have possibly influenced them to be so callous and so careless is to add to what God said. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I know they did. And I know that they're not the first sons, children of Bible characters who served God faithfully for a number of years. They're not the first children to go astray. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, David's two sons, Absalom and Solomon, and Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. I understand that here in Shoto, thank God, that if you grew up in this congregation or you're growing up in this congregation, you're never going to have to worry about unauthorized elements being brought into the worship service. Thank God for that. But here's the thing. When you get out on your own, young people, when you get out on your own, you are going to be tempted up one side and down the other to fall for this. Had a young man at Green Valley Bible Camp several years ago. He and his brother, very faithful, very wonderful young men. And out of the blue, I hadn't heard from him for a couple of years after he graduated, Green Valley Bible Camp. And he called me one day, totally out of the blue, almost, well, I won't say in tears, he called me very, very tragically sad. He had gone to a college associated with the Churches of Christ, and one of their field trips was to go see this group performing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with a full band. And he called me. And I believe he was on the bus ride back home. And he said, I just don't understand. I know that's wrong to be doing that and, and to think that, you know, we in the churches of Christ should know better. He's right. God said sing, and anything else or less is sin. It's that simple. As we get ready to close tonight,
Nothing hurts a parent's heart anymore. As all too many of us already know all too well, than to see one or more of our beloved children go astray. And we watch some of our children go astray as Aaron watched Nadab and Abihu, and it breaks our heart. As it surely must, Nadab and Abihu, uh, as it must of Aaron's heart. As he watched those boys consumed by fire before the Lord. And, and when one of our children goes astray and they begin to add things or try to change things that the Lord has asked for, or they get in with a group that, 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 that foisters that, they have to suffer some terrible things simply because they chose to either add to, take from, or outright disobey and reject the commands of the Lord God Almighty. And, and nothing hurts much more than that. God the Father is the same way. God our Father is the same way about his children, you and me, us. So as God's beloved children, especially if we understand the pain of watching some of our own children go astray, as God's children, let us see that we never give him any reason to hurt that deeply. Let's make sure that we, as God's children, Never cause him to have to suffer so painfully as to watch us go astray just because somebody thinks they got a better idea than God had. Let's always, no matter our age, determine that we are always going to give God exactly what he asked for, nothing more or nothing less, therefore holding him up as holy and worthy for all the world to see. Tonight, if there's some way that your life is not holding God up as holy for all the world to see, if you've not submitted to his authority in something, if you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never repented of some sins, if you've never obeyed God the way you know you should have, tonight's the night to do that. Glorify him, hold him up as holy, don't be an erring child who has rejected his authority. If you need the prayers of the saints tonight, or if you'd be baptized and become his child tonight, come now as we stand and sing.